So for the Bible passage that um, the sermon will be based on today is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. John, the gospel according to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. So please follow along if you can and or listen and or listen closely. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Grace International, particularly if you are visiting with us today. It's a great joy to have you. My name is Andis, as Andres introduced, and I am the pastor here at Grace Church. Um, thank you, Andres, for uh, the creative and, and also careful way of, of setting up uh, today's service. Uh, thank you, Gina, for your heartwarming testimony about the motherhood. It is indeed a great day to celebrate and give thanks to God for all our mothers. Without mothers, the humanity is quite frankly impossible to imagine. Um, so we give a lot, lots of thanks um, for our mothers today. But now, let, yes, let us turn to, um, to our topic, to our theme today. Um, my hope, my hope all the way through our series has been for us to see what our sexuality is really for. And so you, if you have been around the, for the last five weeks, four weeks, that you already know that what, what we have been doing. But if you have not been, don't worry, we will quickly catch up on it. We looked at how sexuality is for the marital union, having children, and sexual pleasure. But we also saw how this description leaves quite a few of us here out and asking, but what, what to do, what do I do with my sexuality? I am not married yet. I am not married anymore. I do not know if I will ever get married or even I am sure I will never get married. And so we said that the ultimate purpose of our sexuality is to make God more knowable. Our inbuilt erotic desire is there for us to make, make us able to fully grasp God's love and covenant faithfulness towards his people. Sex in this creation is like a movie trailer for the real thing, a perfect and permanent and happy union between Christ and the church in the new creation. Now, in the ideal world, this should make us content, right? Because we get that our sexuality helps us more fully worship God. This contentment, in turn, helps us fight the fear of missing out on sex now. None of us will be kicking ourselves in the new creation for not having had sex in the old world or for not having sex anymore in the new world if you are married now. But we are not living in an ideal world, aren't we? On our good days, we get it, right? It helps us to live with the human beauty around us and fight sexual temptations 
And so we praise God on our good days when we get it, when it's very clear to us. But on our bad days, we can get resentful. Sexuality that should unite us can start to divide us. Single Christians say to married Christians, you have no idea what it's like to want someone beside so badly but not having it. Married Christians say to single Christians, oh, you have no idea what it's like sinking in your family responsibilities. And then someone hands you over a baby as you're sinking. But guys, on our worst days, we can all get resentful towards God. Yes, even as Christians who are made right with God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, as we continue expressing, ex sorry, um, experiencing the brokenness of this world in our daily lives, we can sometimes start saying, what does God know? He's not human. What does God know about the power of sexual desire? When, when has God ever been tired and alone? When has he ever had to say, no to a possible sexual encounter that has just presented itself. God doesn't really have a clue what it's like. Well, can you relate to any of this Is it in your mind? How do you respond to God and to others as you live with your sexuality on your good, on your bad, and on your ugly days? And friends, what I want us to see today is that God has a very good idea what it's like to live with the human sexuality in this broken world. God in Jesus took upon himself flesh with all that comes with it. Jesus is our example of how to live perfectly with sexuality in this world. But most importantly, Jesus gives us all hope, us who often muck up our lives sexually. So when it comes to sexuality, God is not someone who is on the outside, you know, who sets the standard without having any clue what it means to live up to it. No, God in Jesus is incredibly inside. Jesus is on the inside. He is with us on it. Because God in Jesus, you see, became fully human. Turn to John. John is our working book for most of the time. John 1, chapter 14. Glance at this verse. A very, very well-known verse. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we are all very familiar with this verse. No Christmas goes without turning to this verse, quite rightly, because it talks about the miracle of incarnation. God became man. 
But maybe because we are so familiar with this verse, we fail to ponder on the full extent of its implications. The fact that Jesus took upon the human body, the flesh, and became fully human means that he also became a sexual being. Just think about this. Here is another verse that implies it much more strongly. If you have quick fingers, find Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews, towards the end of the, the Bible, chapter 4, and verse 15. Have you found it? Let's read. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you see why God in Christ is incredibly on the inside when it comes to human sexuality? Jesus is both our example and our hope. He sympathizes with our sexual lives because Jesus has been in every respect tempted as we are. Did you hear? In every respect including sexuality. Yet he never damaged himself or anyone in his expression of it. But where is the evidence for it? Where in the Bible we see that this is the case? What is the proof that Jesus was tempted sexually but got it right? Well, we now turn to our reading that Gina just read for us, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is another familiar passage that we most likely um, haven't reflected on in the light of our subject of sexuality. So this is what we are going to do now. Let me paint a picture for you gradually and then tie it up at the end. We read that Jesus is on his way from Judea to Galilee, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and he was about the sixth hour. Notice, notice the humanity of Jesus being highlighted here. Weird as he was from his journey, Jesus was exhausted. Verse 7, a woman, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the, the city to buy, you know, food. Notice again Jesus' humanity here. Jesus was thirsty, but also that Jesus is there by himself. His disciples, you know, have left for the, the local little shopping trip. Now, John makes sure we get that Jesus is tired and alone. Just think, when do human beings 
most often muck up sexually when? When they're tired and alone. This is why so much adultery happens on business trips. Uh, once after the church service, a woman, um, back, in, back in our times in London, uh, um, from, from our Bible study, she came up to me in a, in a visible distress. She told that her husband is on the business trip and that she thinks he's cheating on her. When I asked why does she think so, she said that he took a lot of cash out of ATM before the trip so that he wouldn't have to pay for expenses with his card. Of course, the husband denied it all. When, when is pornography accessed, accessed most often? When? When people feel tired, when people feel exhausted, isolated. We, taint, we tend to fail sexually when we no longer have energy to resist. We kid ourselves that nobody else will ever know. Well, you might be thinking now, Andis, are you saying that this is how the situation is expected to escalate in John 4? A hookup between Jesus and the woman. Isn't it reading too much into the Holy Scriptures? Are you not being slightly obsessed with the whole topic of sexuality for the past four weeks? So you see it everywhere. I mean, I have already confessed that I am kind of, I have to read a lot and think a lot about it. Friends, true, true. John isn't writing the gospel about Jesus' sexual life. That's not his main purpose. No, he is writing the book about Jesus, who is the Son of God, and by believing in whom we can have eternal life. But it doesn't mean we can't find satisfying answers to various themes and questions on the way. Jesus becoming fully human, being tempted in every respect as we are, is just what I am talking about. Let's take a few seconds break while our lovely children travel through and go to their Sunday school at the moment. Again, Jesus becoming fully human and being tempted in every respect as we are is just what I am talking about here in light of John 4. So please bear with me as I persist in my quest for proving that Jesus is the perfect bridegroom, the true alpha male. I want us to see that we have a couple of hints to Jesus, the bridegroom, even in the preceding chapters of John. If you want to turn to John 2, you can. But John 2 and the wedding in Cana, just think about the whole context. Jesus as bridegroom the real bridegroom, provides wine for the wedding guests. And think of John uh, 3, verse 29. John the Baptist is expressly joyful at hearing the bridegroom's voice. He talks about Jesus. Jesus is being set up as the bridegroom, as the husband well, and maybe you don't like to think of these instances as, you know, um, 
in a sexual context. And so you don't buy um, John 4 as Jesus' opportunity for hookup. It might not be central, but it doesn't mean that it's not there at all. I am saying this because of the wider biblical context. I like how one pastor put it, referring to John 4. Jesus at the well finds himself at the singles bar. Jesus at the well finds himself at the singles bar. What does he mean by that? You see, the wells historically in the Old Testament have been a places of hookup. Think of Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis 24. Think of Rachel and Jacob in Genesis 29. Think of Moses and Zipporah in Exodus 2. All of these instances have some romantic context. And it's very clear. Boy meets girl who becomes his wife and bears children for him. Every case. So are you saying that this is something that we, we should be expecting coming out of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well? Friends, I am not saying this. I think Jesus' disciples' reaction is saying it. Glance at John 4 and verse 27. John 4 verse 27. Jesus, uh, just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Jesus' disciples appear to be instinctively but inwardly questioning Jesus' motives and actions. What are you seeking? What do you want from her? They think they know what's been going on and they are shocked. Well, let me quickly summarize. The disciples clearly see here the human Jesus. They are in no doubt. Jesus is tired and Jesus is by himself. And he's talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. It doesn't look good in their eyes. It looks very suspicious. But we see a, but we, friends, we see a much fuller picture. The world, the, the word, sorry, that became flesh and dwelt among us. The glorious son of God in every respect has been tempted as we are. So what should we do with all this new knowledge or knowledge now? What is it, how does it help us in our daily quest for purity, living in this highly sexualized world with, with our sexualities in a godly way? How does this help us? Well, the first thing by way of applying the, the whole thing is that we, we see Jesus as our perfect example. You see, Jesus gets sexuality right. To put it bluntly, nothing sexual happened at the well. Just a conversation in which Jesus broke down contemporary racial, religious, and gender barriers. He offered instead in verse 10 
a woman a spiritual refreshment, she has been actually thirsting for, given her many husbands. And Jesus declares himself to be the source of all wisdom she needs in verse 25 and 26. So what is the result of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well? You see, she doesn't rush off home to show her friends, you know, the new engagement ring. No, instead, she rushes off to the village to declare, verse 29, Come, see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It turns out, although Jesus is a man, a sexual being, tied and alone, he becomes, behaves differently from all other men in those circumstances. Isn't that beautiful? He changes the expected narrative and handles his sexuality differently with total integrity. Friends, Jesus, Jesus, you and we, Jesus, we all meet here, is a perfectly consistent pastor who has his sexuality under control and doesn't exploit his sheep. Think of many sexual scandals involving, involving prominent Christian leaders. Ravi Zacharias with Zacharias Ministry, Brian Houston of Hillsong, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, Matt Chandler of Village Church. And the list goes on. I got tired of reading the list on internet. And this is just the Western Christianity that we know that people want to talk about. But not Jesus. Women, Jesus you meet here is the perfect man. He will not treat women as sexual objects to please himself. Instead, he's a man who wants to serve, serve you by being your, by, by giving you spiritual water to satisfy your real thirst eternally. It's amazing. Jesus, you meet here will not act toward you as if you are, a, you know, a sexual threat to his um, integrity. No. Instead, he is a man who is willing to talk with you, secure, answering your questions, and gently, gently telling you the truth. Friends, Jesus smashes the cultural axiom that two people of the opposite sex can be just friends. No, Jesus smashes it. Sorry, can't be just friends. Jesus smashes it. They can. And man, man, Jesus you meet here is a man like you with a perfect example to follow in his treatment of women. Being tired and alone is not an excuse to take advantage of women in reality or online. Instead, you too are pointed to the lasting satisfaction that Jesus offers in him. Such good news. You are to serve women. They do not exist to please you sexually, no. 
you should not always run away from women as if they were a threat to your, you know, godliness. Instead, seek to grow in a Christ-likeness that is able to act with complete integrity towards women. A lot to learn from Jesus. By way of summary, do you remember how at the start of our five-week series, we said that no one, none of us, none of us here at Grace Church have a clear standpoint of experiential purity from which to figure out the whole topic of sexuality? Well, it wasn't quite true. There is someone, someone like us, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is that someone. John 4 encourages us to learn from him. And John 4 points us um, uh, to him as our ultimate example, so that we could point Jesus to the world. Jesus, and Jesus alone, provides us the help we so desperately need. But Jesus, indeed, is not just our example, as we saw. Jesus is our perfect hope, too. Because, friends, of course, of course, the help we all desperately need here today is forgiveness. Don't you agree? Forgiveness for the damage that we have caused to ourselves. Forgiveness of, of, of those who have damaged us with their sexuality in the past. And forgiveness for the damage our misuse of sexuality has done to God. We all desperately need forgiveness. Sometimes people feel that their sexuality is too damaged to repair. And so we desperately desire that our sexual history, that it could be just deleted so swiftly as our online internet history can be, but it doesn't seem to be possible. Except that with Jesus it is. When we acknowledge our broken record, we are given, we are given his perfect record Turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, and we'll see how this great exchange has happened. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One more verse that we know but haven't worked on its implications for our sexualities. What it says is we get to swap our sexual histories with Jesus. Isn't that something extraordinary? Just think how amazing it is. Jesus get our sexuality, um, sexually mucked up histories of being damaged by others and damaging others. 
He took our sexual history with him up on the cross. Our lust, our fantasies, porn addiction, sex outside of marriage, selfish sex within marriage, sexual abuse, sexual repression. And only you will know what Jesus brought with him in his body on the tree for you. But what is truly amazing is what we get in return. We get all, all of us, Jesus' sexual purity, his self-sacrificial, perfect sexual integrity. As he chats with a Samaritan woman, he treats her as a real person and not as a sexual threat. We get Jesus' perfect sexual history in return. Friends, how does that change the way we think about our sexualities in the 21st century? Well, for those of us who trust in Jesus, it means that when God looks at us, when he does that, even now, even today, even after what happened yesterday, he sees Jesus' sexual purity not our sexual sin. The great exchange covers our sin yesterday, today, tomorrow, and in the future. And it's all because we have been united to Christ. Our sexual history is His. Our sexual future is His too. It is such a great news. The guilt and shame about our damaged sexualities doesn't have to crush us. And according to the statistics, many of us feel still guilty and ashamed and crushed. Yes, friends, we need, we need to repent daily if we fall in sin. But that sin doesn't have to define us. Jesus defines us. On the cross, Jesus bore our guilt and your shame, and he paid for it completely. It is gone. It's gone forever. But that's not all. That's not all. Jesus grants um, you not only legal forgiveness, praise him for it. Praise him for what he's done. But Jesus offers you now something else. I would want to say something more. He offers you himself. Jesus knows that, that, that left to our own devices, to ourselves, we would continue mess up our lives in the area of sexuality. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and lives in us. Isn't that even more amazing? That we receive a continuous, constant help from Jesus. Jesus helps us to express our sexuality rightly as he now comes and lives us by his spirit. 
That's a final verse. Let's turn to Galatians 2 and verse 20. The book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Here is a confirmation from the Apostle Paul. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you, did you spot it? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We need more. We need more uh, than the divine forgiveness. We need a divine friend who is with us constantly, who knows what it means to inhabit sexual body, who knows what it means to be exhausted, who knows what it means to be alone and tempted in every respect as we are yet without sin. And so we not only receive now Jesus' perfect history, but we receive Jesus himself in us. And he helps us to use our bodies, our sexualities, as he used it, self-sacrificially, to point others to where lasting satisfaction is to be found. So it's for us, for ourselves, and also for the whole world. You see, we haven't been left alone. We haven't been left alone to figure out this whole thing on our own, no. But we have in Christ alone all the necessary resources that we need to change. You know how someone sometimes uh, can think, you know, I just can't, I just can't see any progress in my life you know, regarding my sexual purity. But could it be that, that it is because we haven't been thinking about it rightly? So much of our time can go in pursuing various self-help techniques, various, various resources, which is not always bad. But instead, we should be primarily realizing that we need to access the divine help that we constantly have in Jesus. It is a change of mind. It is a change of think in thinking. Friends, it is not about us changing ourselves ultimately. We do need to realize that. The real change, when does the real change actually happen? It is when Christ lives in us. When Christ through us is making us more like him. That's when the real change is happening. Do you now see how the gospel of Christ changes everything? Do you, do, do you now see how the gospel of Christ changes the way we um, think and then the way we act sexually? What it looks like 
Do you know how the gospel of Christ really impacts and changes the way God views us today? And how we are supposed to view other people in our lives. Well, I hope that we at least have begun seeing this. And so let me close with a, I hope, all-encompassing prayer that sort of wraps up um, our series uh, on, on this topic. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray, all of us. Father God, we praise you for the good gift of purposeful sexuality. Please forgive us for the ways in which we have damaged ourselves, others, and you in our wrong use of it. Thank you that you have most of all given us sexual feelings to help us appreciate your love for us in Christ. To begin to feel the joy there will be when all your people are united to him forever. May your son, Jesus, by his spirit living in me, now help me to enjoy your good gift of sexuality more purposefully. I know I can't do that on my own. So thank you that I don't need to. Thank you, Jesus, that by trusting in you, I have forgiveness and your constant help. I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. So what we have been doing so far in most of the weeks, we've done the, a quick Q&A instantly. So if there, is, if there are any questions, you can take 30, 30 seconds or so, or maybe a minute, and we can have a, a, a quick, quick discussion on anything that you heard, which still maybe left you puzzling, or on which you were left unclear, or maybe slightly in a fog. Or anything. So this is a this is a time where you could just raise a hand and you can ask any question. Um, yes. I think it's so great. This poor woman has been divorced five times in a culture where she was divorced because her husband divorced her. She could not divorce, so she is, was not not necessarily the guilty one each time. She has given up on life. She's gone to a man now that she's not even married to. And Christ comes to her and he doesn't attack her in the slightest. Yep. He comes to her with love. And that's what mm. he's going to do no matter what our past is. Yes. He comes to us with his love. Thank you. A very, very helpful comment and summary. Um, Indeed, thank you. Maybe any questions? Can I add one more? <laughs> yes, of course. Five times is a lot of times. Given up. Some of us have sinned a hundred times, and we have given up. But 
I'm thinking that God is standing there watching us, and he's saying, yes, George, that's number 99, but I know yes. that number 102 is the last one. Okay, and I do it, and I do whatever I do, or say whatever I say, or whatever it is, and then the day comes when it hits me. That's the wrong path. Yes, indeed. I Thank you. And I only knew, I've only known one lady, one senior lady in my life back in the days who actually had five husbands and she survived them all. They passed away. I don't know the, the specific context and circumstances, right? So I'm not speculating. But anyways, it was just something that I remember. Um, and and she, was, she, was, she was a great, a great woman. Um, but yeah, godly. Uh, appreciating God's grace a lot. Any questions? Yes, yes, Noel. Thank you. Speak up, speak up. Uh, okay, should I say that uh, since I am so helpless, I can do it on my own. And I've tried so many times. So should I just continue on and just let the Lord do what he Repeat the, the start of the question. If, if I am, I, I didn't hear that, sorry. I said, I said since uh, we can't do it on yes. our own, yes. we can't do it by ourselves, yes. and everything like that, should I continue and just wait for God to come and save you? Oh, you, like in, in this area, right? Uh, well, not, um, uh, yeah, not, uh, not really. Um, so the the way the way God has decided to the scriptures to function is He gives commands. Yes, He gives commands. Um, the scriptures kind of they prove that you can't fulfill the commands, and so you are pointed to God's grace. And as you um, as you become a partaker in that grace in Jesus, as you become his child, you receive a spirit and the help of the spirit to act upon these commands and even act upon the warnings and the, in the scripture. And that is how the Lord has decided to sustain and preserve his people, even as they go in their life like this, um, you know, uh, stumbling, repenting, asking for forgiveness, receiving grace, and again and again. But they do that securely, trusting in Jesus, not trusting in themselves, but also being careful and mindful, mindful how, how they live. Yeah, I said this because uh, some people say God is so gracious. Yes. So, well, I can't do it on my own. So he's, he's yes. Yes, so I, I think pastors of uh, a number of times, I, I've even heard, you, you know, um, Malcolm previously referred to it. It's a, it's a sense, it can be a sense of cheap grace. You know, grace is always going to be there irrespective of how I do, how I live. And, and this is actually, I think this is serious because it kind of leaves the precious sacrifice of Christ somewhere completely in the background um, and, and, and not, not relevant, um, sort of important at all. So, no, 
If we, if we really care about what Jesus has done on the cross, how he has taken in his body all our sins, all our sexual sins, then we um, live a life of praise and worship and try to please him now by the power of his spirit. Annette? This is uh, following up to Noah's question. Um, so, uh, do you have some uh, examples, practical examples, for people who struggle with sexual uh, temptations, uh, how to fight it? As we are involved in, hmm. in the Bible, uh, fight sexual uh, sin, yes. cut off uh, yes. arms and legs. And yes. Do you have some uh, right. practical examples to, to yeah. us? Yes. Thanks for that. So the question was, um, is there any, are there any practical suggestions that Christians can, can implement to fight the temptation in their lives? And, and so it might, might have seemed that I said in, in the talk, you know, that kind of self-help stuff and tools and instruments are not, you know, important. But this is not really what I said. I think there is a place for that. So I am in I'm in a relationships with another guy who um, who um, has allowed me to monitor the the online activity that he has. There's this software called the Covenant Eyes. I don't know whether you've heard it. it the idea comes from the book of Jacob. Sorry, uh, Job. Job, who said that I have made a covenant with my eyes, and so fighting lust. And, and, and so I think this is, this is a great tool. So once in a week, I receive a, a summary of what he's been doing online, and, and the software tells me whether there's anything I should pay attention to. And so we talk once in a while, I, and I'm not the only one, so I'm, I'm only doing like this. And so we, we, we meet with him, we chat with him, but that's not the only thing. Because he's a Christian guy who realizes that, that tools are not enough. That at the heart of this, these battles is the, the personal relationships with Jesus. So this is something that we talk a lot about. And this is my duty, my task, to remind him of these things again and again and again. So, so for, for instance, for instance, um, so there is no way that we can battle this on our own. That's why we have the church family. That's, that's why we have, let's say, prayer triplets. Uh, we can meet, you know, moms meet on Tuesdays, women meet on Mondays. Um, you all meet with each other in different contexts outside of Sunday. On the back of this series, why not use one of these times to chat about how we're doing. Is there any way we can be praying for each other and supporting in, in, in the area of sexuality? So we all need someone with whom we can be open and honest about how we're doing. Because again, st statistically, we still, we still, you know, um, we have some of these things sort of hidden, hidden good, hidden, hidden well inside of us. Uh, and still can feel shame and guilt about them. So speaking to a trusted friend and person is very, very, very good. That's why we are here for. Any final, any final comment, question? Yes, please. You explain about what to do when you are searching on the internet, like watch porn and so on, like what to do. But what about 
Yes, 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 yes. So what you do then if you want sex Yes, 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 yes. It's a very good question. So um, the, the question was, uh, you, you know, what to do with the, with the online sort of accountability, have a friend, you know, share the, the, the history through the software. But what about our inward life? What about our thinking thoughts? You know, A, A please, uh, please visit and, and someone will give you a link to the whole series. I spent one of these talks on the, the subject of how to live with the human beauty, meaning how to, um, how to um, lead yourself when you go outside. And, you know, this is for men, you know, when you end up in the season of the shirt, short skirts, you know, that we all end up, what to do. And I, I think what I said, can I briefly just restate it? We, as we see God's creation and other people as God's created beings, we are meant to appreciate the beauty, but that beauty only points us to the creator. So we have to teach ourselves to think rightly. We do not start to worship another person, a woman or a guy on the street or on a gym and kind of let our thoughts you know, develop. Instead, we say, right, this really points, this really points me to the the wonderful, awesome, beautiful creator, and I'm meant to worship him. So you you work with yourself. It's it's a dialogue with yourself. Are you gonna pursue the dialogue? Oh, this this uh this nice appealing girl. Um how you know how how can I use her to please myself in my mind? Or again, Jesus, um how can I, how does that how is that situation pointing me to, to God as the creator and so on and um, but li li listen to one of these talks I think it's it's mostly it comes down to a dialogue that we are having in our mind are we gonna follow the world or are we gonna um, seek the, the help of the spirit and follow God yeah but thanks it's a it's a very it's, a, it's an important thing because we think, you know, no one sees our thinking. No one, no one sees that we um, get, you know, lustful in our thoughts. No, Jesus does. God does. But again, he has ransomed us. He gives us his help, his spirit. Mario, is that a question? Good. Ask again, sorry, I didn't hear. As a man, what are important in life? I didn't understand, sorry. As a and sex? Important in life. Are they important? <laughs> At all? Is that a trick question? <laughs> in, in this life, you mean? Yes. Some of the people who doesn't get Yes. 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 Right. Again, again, uh, so is marriage and sex important in, in this life? Again, one, one of the first two talks tackle that in a, in a bigger length. So, so go back and listen to those talks. Uh, but of course, I mean, of course they are important. That's God's, that's God's design and purpose um, in this creation. His, his 
big purpose is uh, that um, a man meets a, a, a woman, they get married, you know, it, it's a public declaration of lifelong faithfulness to each other, and they have children. And that was, in the Garden of Eden, ideal world. And we talked ab about that, that it's not always the case. Married couples can't have children. Marriage couples struggle with sex. So, uh, but that's just to say these things are important. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians talked to the, 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 the married couples and he says, right, you guys, you guys are in danger of neglecting each other, of saying that, uh, that, that marriage and sex is not important. And that's actually sin. That's not according to what God wants. So if, if we speak specifically to the married ones, we want them to see this is important. But in the context of the church and God's ultimate purpose of, of the, his church being wedded to Christ, it's only a trailer. Okay, so we, we've said that single Christians who will not get married or can't get married or they are not missing out on this because the whole big purpose is to show for us all to be at the wedding feast, at this blissful spiritual union before between Christ and the church. So on itself, as the institution of this creation, marriage and sex is important. But in light or in, the, in, in, in terms of the new creation, none of it will be important. Sex and marriage will be ended there. The, the, the big union with Christ is what's important to all of us. That's why sexuality unites us here in the church, not divides us, you see? That was my aim kind of all the way through the series. I think we should proceed, guys. Uh, ask the questions even later or to each other, talk about this, um, and, and let's now, what do we think? Let's sing, let's sing.